Welcome to the Movie Planet. With Joe. He brought a 90-pound asthmatic onto my army base. I let it slide. I thought, what the hell? Maybe he'd be useful to you like a gerbil. Never thought you'd pick him. He's making me cry. And Steve. Great power has always baffled primitive men. Nice boots, Tinkerbell. Come on, guys. We're all on the same team here. Today's movie, Captain America, The First Avenger. Welcome to the movie planet. Joining me is the Red Skull to my Steve Rogers. Steve, welcome back, sir. I am honored. You are Red this Skull. Is how, this is how Skeletor should have been done. <laughs> Your love of Skeletor. And this is the closest I can get to being him. Oh, I'm in. <laughs> <laughs> this is a uh, this is a better version of Skeletor. Yes, it is. This yes. is how he should have been done. Yeah, yeah. Although, wasn't Skeletor in the a cartoon. Didn't he have a high-pitched voice? Yeah, he had a very whiny, high-pitched kind of a... Like Cobra Commander? Here, he man. <laughs> <laughs> oh, boy. Well, hey, we'll talk more about that later. If you want to get a hold of us, you can email us at themoviepanetpodcast at gmail.com. We're also on Facebook at slash movieplanetpod, Twitter, and Instagram at movieplanetpod. And on this show, we'll be keeping track of all the movies worth your time in our Movie Planet Preserved. And being that we're doing Captain America, the first Avenger, Today we visit the comic book movie Planet Preserve, and it has seven and only seven films in it. Currently, number one is Deadpool, number two is Iron Man, number three, The Dark Knight. All of those are tied with a perfect score, an A. Then you've got Batman Begins with an A-, Thor with a B, Green Lantern with a C+, and Iron Man 2 with a C+. Now, this movie, depending on... What we graded, it's going to either be in there longer, shorter, whatever it's going to be. But realistically, Iron Man 2 may be getting the boot out of this one. Yeah, I don't I don't 100 percent agree with that one. I would. <laughs> <laughs> well, maybe uh, we can have that discussion later. And Listen, should it be Grand Lantern? Should it be Iron Man 2? We will we'll, we'll find out. Uh, JC, if you hear us, get on the Iron Man 2 train. <laughs> <laughs> The, this is a spoiler-rich podcast, so if you haven't seen 2011's Captain America, The First Avenger, it's best if you stop right here, watch the movie, and then turn us back on to enjoy our discussion and analysis. But let's get into this. Let's start discussing 2011's Captain America, The First Avenger, a movie made for $140 million that brought in $370.5 million worldwide, which seems like a lot for a movie back then, but when you look at what the worldwide numbers were, Iron Man made 585 worldwide. Incredible yeah, Hulk, 263. Ugh. Then they did Iron Man 2. Robert Downey Jr. brings them all back for 623 million. Thor takes a dive with 449, and Cap is the second worst with worldwide openings here. Uh, I don't know what the reasoning was behind that because they clearly should have spent more money on it. But I don't know. I don't know if anybody really knew this Cap person per se or yeah i think that people at that point were kind of going listen you know iron man we're all in for but these other characters uh, not quite so sure and realistically cap being put out in a very cynical america 
uh, I can totally see why it would bomb a little bit for, for compared to the other ones because people are like, well, it's rah rah cheesy. You know, how is this actually going to look? You know, he's kind of like the Boy Scout. Nobody wants to watch a Boy Scout on the screen. Uh, but this is interesting because it's written by Christopher Marcus and Stephen McFeely. And we're going to talk a little bit later about why those two names are important. Uh, produced by Kevin Feige and directed by Joe Johnston. Uh, Joe Johnston, who I believe is also responsible for Gremlins. Oh, that's another movie. Gosh, I haven't seen in a long, long time. I heard the podcast. Yeah, uh, well, <laughs> that that podcast hasn't come out yet. <laughs> oh, no, no, no. You heard it when it was the playground. <laughs> well, this movie's starring Chris Evans as Steve Rogers, or Captain America, Haley Atwell as Peggy Car- Carter, Sebastian Stan as James Bucky Barnes, Tommy Lee Jones as Colonel Chester Phillips, Hugo Weaving as Johann Schmidt, or Red Skull, Dominic Cooper as Howard Stark, Stanley Tucci as Dr. Abraham Erskine, Toby Jones as Arnim Zola, Stan Lee as the general who questions Cap's height, uh, Natalie Dormer as Private Lorraine. What the hell is Marjorie Tyrell Tar- doing here? That was awesome. She's one of my favorite characters from uh, Game of Thrones. I was like, oh, sweet. Yeah. I was like, oh, what a treat. I love Marjorie Terrell. (laughs) And the post credit scene, we got Samuel L. Jackson showing up as Nicholas Fury. Or Nicholas Joseph Fury, as we find out later on. Uh, But, hey, let's get into the making of this movie. Don't get on the set, get ready to shoot, and then ask for rewrites. Studios do this crap all the time, and they wonder why they end up with a shit movie. Smoke and mirrors, guys. Welcome to the movie factory. Movie? You know, I hate the word movie. I don't make movies, I make films. So this movie's origins actually start back in April of 1997. Marvel had negotiated to produce Captain America and had hired screenwriters. Now a script gets written and in May of 2000, Marvel gets Artisan Entertainment to help finance the film. However, a lawsuit is put forth from Joe Simon, the creator of Captain America, over the ownership of the copyrights, which completely disrupts the development of the film since the lawsuit isn't settled until 2003, six years later. So, we skip forward two years from then. It's 2005. Marvel receives $525 million as an investment from Merrill Lynch to independently produce 10 films, including Captain America. Paramount Pictures jumps in and agrees, hey, can we distribute the film on behalf of Marvel? And Marvel says, yeah, sounds great. Now, the film was originally going to be a standalone, according to producer Kevin Feige, with half the movie taking place in World War II and half the movie taking place in modern times. Producer Avi Arad was hoping to have a summer 2008 theatrical release date, but that obviously got pushed back. Now, John Favreau, director John Favreau, actually approached Arad about directing the film as a fish-out-of-water comedy. But Favreau was kind of pushed towards a smaller property, you may have heard of it, Iron Man, which kind of worked out well. So instead, they chose Joe Johnston to be the director and had David Self write the script. And many people are probably wondering, well, what happened with Hulk's director, Louis Leterrier? Well, he tried to get the job to do Cap, but he was turned down by the Marvel execs who didn't want a repeat of The Incredible Hulk. So, Joe Johnston has the job, and he hires Christopher Marcus and Stephen McFeely to do a rewrite of the script. Now, before this time, Marcus and McFeely had only written five movies, and three of them were the Chronicle of Narnia Narnia movies. 
So after this job, they went on to get writing credits on the following movies. They did Pain and Gain, Thor the Dark World, Captain America the Winter Soldier, Guardians of the Galaxy, Captain America Civil War, Avengers Infinity War, and Avengers Endgame. It is amazing how quickly your fate can change in Hollywood. Now, another big reveal for Marvel was getting Alan Silvestri to do the soundtrack for the film. Now, Silvestri was already well-established in Hollywood as a John Williams-type composer. Some of his credits beforehand include the Back to the Future trilogy, Predator, Who Framed Roger Rabbit, The Abyss, The Young Guns movies, The Bodyguard, Grumpy Old Men, Forrest Gump, Contact, Cast Away, Polar Express, it goes on and on and on. But after his introduction into the MCU, he ended up scoring for The Avengers, Infinity War, and arguably my favorite soundtrack in the entire Marvel Cinematic Universe, Endgame. But that right there is how this movie came to be. Why me? I suppose that is the only question that matters. This is from Augsburg, my city. So many people forget that the first country the Nazis invaded was their own. You know, after the last war, that my people struggled. They, they felt weak, they felt small. And then Hitler comes along with the marching and the big show and the flags and the... And, the... and he, he hears of me, my work, and he finds me. And he says, you. He says, you will make us strong. Well, I am not interested. So he sends a head of Hydra, his research division. A brilliant scientist by the name of Johann Schmidt. Now, Schmidt is a member of the inner circle, and he is ambitious. He and Hitler share a passion for occult power and Teutonic myth. Hitler uses his fantasies to inspire his followers. But for Schmidt, it is not fantasy. For him, it is real. He has become convinced that there is a great power hidden in the earth, left here by the gods, waiting to be seized by a superior man. So when he hears about my formula and what it can do, he cannot resist. Schmidt must become that superior man. Did it make him stronger? Yeah. But there were other effects. The serum was not ready. But more important, the man. The serum amplifies everything that is inside, so good becomes great, bad becomes worse. This is why you were chosen. Because the strong man, who has known power all his life, may lose respect for that power, but a weak man knows the value of strength and knows Compassion. Thanks. I think. Whatever happens tomorrow, you must promise me one thing. That you will stay who you are. Not a perfect soldier, but a good man. To the little guys.
No, no, wait, wait. What I am doing? No, you have a procedure tomorrow. No fluids. Oh. All right, we'll drink it after. No, I don't have a procedure tomorrow. Drink it after. I drink it now. All right, hey, Steve, do you remember seeing it for the first time? What'd you think? Uh, this is a film I remember seeing. Uh, I remember the most because it took me four times to see it. Um, I think it was four a couple times. of years ago. Um, I tried I tried sitting down watching this, and again, it was probably not on one of my smartest moves to trying to watch this at, like, I don't know, 11.30 at night. Oh, Jesus. Um, after a long day, and then uh, that didn't work, and then I tried it again, and then that didn't work. <laughs> and then I'm like, okay, I need to sit down and watch these MCU movies. And again, that is when you started me on my journey. Yes. And come with I me. I finally got through it. So this was like the fourth time I've seen it, which is, if you think about it, that's probably the second most times I've seen. Well, eh. it's up there, surprisingly, with how, of all the MCU movies that I've seen, this probably the third most out of all of them. It, we're going to get into the fact that is this rewatchable? <laughs> Uh, the first time I saw it, I, I, I was not looking forward to this. Uh, for me, personally, when I heard they were making a Captain America movie, I thought this is going to suck. Uh, he just seemed, it just seemed lame. He seemed, la- I, I went in arms crossed and I left thinking that it was on par with The Incredible Hulk. Maybe worse. Uh, and well, maybe it's because of my attitude walking into it. Yeah. When I think I finally watched this, I went in with an open mind because I didn't know anything much about Captain America. Yeah. Still, all these poster boys, I still knew nothing about. Hey, but you learn throughout time, so you're good. Oh, yeah. But, hey, let's get started walking through this movie. Uh, This synopsis is from IMDb, so we'll start here. In the present day, researchers in the Arctic Circle uncover the buried wreckage of a large wing-shaped aircraft. While investigating the aircraft's interior, two of the researchers discover a frozen circular object with a red, white, and blue motif. Um, I love the opening. I can't believe he saw the shield underneath all that fucking snow. <laughs> Shoot. <laughs> yeah. It made it seem like it was really, really thin because all he did was do one wipe and then you see the shield clear as day. Yeah. <laughs> I was like, it's like, uh, we better get some heavy machinery down here to help him out. You could probably go ting, 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 and he'd be good. <laughs> I would have loved to have seen, like, if they found his hand or something. Like, oh, in the shield. Like, yeah, found, like, his arm strapped to the back of it. Right. Like he normally does. Like right. he's trying to protect himself. But if you're coming, here's the thing. If you're coming off of Iron Man 2, the first question you have is, wait, I thought Tony Stark had the shield. But we talked about that earlier, which is maybe he had the prototype for it. Yes. Yeah. Uh, we go into March of 1942. We're going to go back in time to 1942. Hydra forces, led by Johann Schmidt, invade a stone church in Tonsberg, Norway, seeking a mysterious cosmic artifact known as the Tesseract, which possesses untold powers. Upon discovering the true Tesseract, Schmidt has the churchkeeper who guarded it killed, along with everyone else in the village. And Steve, we get our first Infinity Stone. Yeah. The only thing I had about this scene was, where did he get it? And then I thought it was really cool. I think um, um, Johan or Schmidt, he even said, like, it came from, this is one of Odin's treasures. And I was like, oh, right. Oh, they're referencing the old movies now. I'm like, this is really (laughs) cool, you know? But it, like, something, I knew something was off with Schmidt. As soon as kind of he, well, he walked in, had this demeanor. And then when he goes and looks in the coffin, there's three big, huge soldiers trying to push his coffin. He just goes, shove. I was like, 
Whoa. And immediately I thought of Toy Story. <laughs> with Woody. And Woody's going, hey, guys, with Buzz's, with Buzz's arm. And he just goes, something screwy here. <laughs> and that's exactly what I thought. I was like, okay. Yeah. Yeah. I, I love when he opens up the coffin and there is that cube. But you can tell... It's not really a, it just looks like a plastic cube. <laughs> yeah. It's not until he gets to the wall where he's like, oh, this one glows. Okay, this one matters. Yeah, um, I was, uh, yeah, I thought you, that was neat. Did you notice who the guard was? What you, what, what, he, what movie, what big movie he's from? Uh, no, the other guy that was, the other guy that was killed in the rubble. Uh, the one who is protecting the, the cube, if you will, before he's no, killed. No, I did not. No, okay, did not. he's the janitor in the Harry Potter movies. Oh, He's a oh, custodian. Yes, yes. Okay. No, yeah. yes. That's now. <laughs> yeah, so yes. he's he just takes care of everything in these movies. He's also on the Iron Throne, I believe. Wasn't he wasn't he one of the Iron Islands guy oh, in the Game yes. of Thrones? Yes, yes, he was. My gosh, that guy is everywhere. Yeah. It, Marjorie Tyrell's on this. Maybe this is a Game of Thrones mo- movie. <laughs> I'm in. <laughs> okay, we go to nineteen forty three in New York City resident Steve Rogers is once again rejected for military duty on the battlefields of World War II, despite making multiple attempts at different enlistment offices due to his frail physical appearance and numerous health issues. While attending Stark Expo with his friend Bucky Barnes, Rogers attempts to enlist again after overhearing Rogers' conversation with Barnes about wanting to help in a war, Abraham Erskine allows Rogers to enlist as a candidate of Project Rebirth, a super soldier experiment being conducted by the Strategic Scientific Reserve under the supervision of Erskine, Chester Phillips, and Peggy Carter. Okay, now I know you've got an issue here with young Stephen. <laughs> an issue? Oh. And it, this looks the hardest thing to watch. And I absolutely love it. I think it looks great. <laughs> his head is too big for his body. It's He is unproportional. He, he has numerous health issues. I get that, but even the sickest person looks proportional. What I love is when they pull up the list of his health issues. It's like 16 things. You could have gotten away with five. <laughs> yeah. Like, like your asthma alone. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, it was like, I just love the fact that you're going through all these people and a, a test that the newspaper comes down. It's this scrawny little guy, but you can tell it's Chris Evans, but it's not quite Chris Evans, but it's is Chris Evans, but it's not quite him. <laughs> oh, and I just kept wrestling that back and forth. And it probably took me about partway through the movie for me to like, for it's like, if it wasn't close up. It was good, but our net, it was just, it just looked wrong. It just, it, it was distracting to me. You know what it was? It's when he's clothed, it's fine. It's just when he's yeah. when he's shirtless, that's a problem. Yeah. Because when he's in his when he's in his military garb, he looks the part. So, I, I don't know. Maybe it was just like you know, well, we're experimenting with this so that we can perfect it when we have a what's his name, a Michael Douglas, and we have to make him younger. Yeah, I guess so. Yeah. It's just, yeah. It bothered you, I know. But uh, he meets this. Abraham Erskine. Now they're going to fight Germans, and who walks into his thing? A German scientist, and he's like, "Yeah, yeah, let's do it." Come on, Steve. <laughs> yeah, I did think that. Well, let's talk about defective, and I was just like, "Oh, this guy's got to have some grudge against Germany or something." I don't know, but yeah. um, eventually learned that a little bit later there on why he's there. So right, and the uh, the other thing I want to uh, touch on here is we meet Bucky, and yes. it's clear they're friends. 
But I'm going to have a massive issue by the end of this about Bucky Barnes and what his role is in this entire thing. And I think I'm going to agree with you on it. (laughs) Because I I expected a little more backstory, if you will, between these two guys. (laughs) Uh, I do like the fact that he's kind of like, he's the hot guy on campus, if you will, and he's kind of the dork that he just tags along. And then their roles completely switch midway through the movie. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Uh, okay, now we, we meet Chester Phillips, we uh, Tommy Lee Jones, the general. Yes. With with I will say the best lines in the whole movie. Yeah, the best lines in the whole movie. Uh, here here's one of them. Look at that. He's making me cry. He's just so deadpan in his delivery. Yeah. <laughs> Joel would love it. Yeah, he's got a lot of. Uh... Oh yeah, that. Well, hey. I... That sounds a lot like Joel. Yeah, Joel is very much Mr. Deadpan. That's why he likes Fantastic Mr. Fox so much. Oh, well. Yeah. I don't know, Joel. I haven't seen that one, buddy. Oh, <laughs> it's on Amazon Prime now. All right. Yeah. Okay, during basic training, Phillips is unconvinced by Erskine's claims that Rogers is the right person for the procedure, but relents after seeing Rogers commit an act of self-sacrificing bravery. This is when he throws the grenade. <laughs> oh, Which, yeah. What a dick move. <laughs> Should we it just was. should we just say that it's funny that out of an entire platoon of guys, he's the only one that does this? Yeah, it just seems really weird. I mean, this, he's in basic training. I mean, I, he just got to where he wanted to be. Right. And there's a drill, and he everybody thinks it's real. I said that in air quotes. And he's just willing to commit his life right there and possibly end it after everything he's worked for. <laughs> right. It's not like, you know, he grabs... He like jumps on it and throws it somewhere clear. You know, he just takes the whole brunt of it. I was like, that <laughs> seems a little much, buddy. But you know what? <laughs> there is something very, very chivalrous about it. Like he he gets on it and then he gets in the fetal position and he slowly jerks out and waves everybody away without looking, going, Get away, get away. And I was like, Okay, this guy's got balls. Yeah. He's got balls. <laughs> yeah, that's just, that, yeah, it just it explained his character a lot more, and you had a lot more respect for him. Yeah, you do. Uh, I'm starting to respect the guy. Okay. <laughs> the <laughs> night before the treatment, Erskine reveals to Rogers that Schmidt underwent an imperfect version of the procedure and suffered negative side effects due to his inner ambition for power and obsession with becoming a superior man. However... He reassures Rogers that he chose him because he believed Rogers was an inherently good man and one that would, one that, because he had been weak his whole life, would not lose respect for the strength he would gain. This is one of my favorite conversations in the whole movie. Yeah, it was, uh, well, one, you got a little bit to know about Red Skull, and I think one of the most important aspects of that conversation was that the serum says amplifies everything that's in that person. So if you have a very, very good man, you yeah. know, that's amplified a lot as opposed to the opposite. If you are like a bad man, then you're going to be even worse. Yeah. And you know what's so. funny is this is both my favorite conversation, but it's also my least favorite thing about the movie is because the movie just follows the conversation then all the way through. And unfortunately, yeah. our main character doesn't go through any character arc whatsoever. Because no, he's the same person at the point. beginning as he was at the end. That wasn't pointed out to me later when I when I read something, and then I was like, "Wow, that is so true." He's the same throughout the entire film. Yeah, it's like that is kind of bothersome. Then I got to think, who has the arc in the film? Exactly. I don't know. 
I really don't. Everybody kind of stays the same. And I, right now, I, I'm I'm speechless. <laughs> it's unbelievable. Uh, back in Europe, Schmidt and Arnim Zola, using one of his machines, successfully harnessed the energies of the Tesseract, intending to use the power to fuel Zola's inventions. Meanwhile, Schmidt, having discovered Erskine's location, dispatches an assassin to kill him. Okay, Steve, this is where we have to suspend our believability. Because yeah. if the Nazis had this type of weaponry, it's over. Oh, okay. I'm so glad I'm not the only one who thought this. It's over. First of all, it's bad enough that they just leave these weapons lying around when all of these people are killed. Like, we don't see this technology ever again? <sighs> no, yeah, and it even... Yeah. <laughs> I, I'm saving my comments. <laughs> <laughs> Because I go on a, I go on a rant. You're gonna go on a rant later. <laughs> oh yeah. Uh, in New York City, Erskine's subjects or Erskine subjects Rogers to the super soldier treatment, putting him in a special chamber where he's injected with the super soldier serum and dosed with Vita rays. Rogers emerges from the chamber taller and with an enhanced physique. <laughs> How do you feel? Taller. Yeah, I yeah. Dude, look ripped. Yeah, he's pretty dreamy looking. What's funny is that this is the smallest Captain America will look throughout this entire series. Oh, okay. Because he looks big here, but when he does in Civil War, dude, he's added another three or four pounds to each one of his guns. Well, he does a lot of running. Yeah. <laughs> yeah and barefoot. He's barefoot running. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, let's see. After witnessing the success of the experiment, one of the attendees reveals himself to be Schmidt's assassin, Heinz Kruger, who shoots, er who shoots Erskine, killing him. Kruger grabs the last vial of the super soldier serum and escapes the facility into the streets of New York. Rogers runs after Kruger, using his new strength and stamina to run down Kruger's car on foot. Despite attempting to escape in a submarine, Rogers manages to catch Kruger, but the vial of super soldier serum is broken in the process, and the assassin immediately commits suicide by cyanide pill before he can be interrogated for information. This scene does something fantastic, and okay. that is, yes, he is now endowed with all of these great new abilities, but he still doesn't know how they work. Yes. Okay, I was hoping you'd say something. I wanted to give you the word on that one. But, yeah. uh, yeah, I thought it was great because when he's doing all this running and doing these jumping, he's like, whoa, 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 questioning himself. And then he's running so fast that he accidentally <laughs> runs into a store. <laughs> and I was just like, this is so cool. Yeah, I mean, he doesn't know how to like turn a, with all that speed. <laughs> yeah, I mean, this is a genuine origin of someone gaining their powers and just, like, and, and learning with them. Yeah. Almost like. And, and I immediately thought of Iron Man 1 and mm -hmm. his first flight with the suit. He's kind of all over the place trying to, like, just kind of hover there, you know? Yeah. Again, I thought it was a really good origin just like that. Yeah, it was uh, – there's that scene. There's when he jumps and he jumps over the fence and he kind of yeah. turns back while he's running going, did I just do that? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but then it's him. I, I love the fact that – the, the Kruger guy throws some kid in the water. And, of course, the cliche is he's going to stop chasing the guy and save the kid. But the kid's like, no, I've got it. I can swim. You can go ahead and get him. <laughs> I was like, yes, finally someone didn't yeah. fall for that move. Yeah, that's true. That's good. Um, But then, okay, okay. So he's still learning all his abilities. <laughs> he jumps in the water and chases down a submarine. Yes, I guess, yes. Oh, gosh. Yeah, that was just dumb. You took it's me like, what? You took me two steps ahead, and then you pulled me back, too. <laughs> yeah, because I know he's gotten bigger. He's gotten stronger, you know, and 
I would almost say he would almost say doubled in size. Oh, yes. Nobody's lungs last that long still. No, they don't. Okay. And not not with a jet wash pushing water into your face. <laughs> and after running the entire time, I mean, he's got to be at least a little winded. I know he's a super soldier now, but right. at least a little bit. And all the adrenaline pumping through at the same time. It's, um, yeah. But then again, it's he had a super soldier serum. and We don't really know exactly what that does. So it's like, I guess I got to take some things for... Uh, believability but yeah the whole submarine chasing thing was kind of lame i wish actually would have been better if he would have just jumped in the water and he just had like this use his momentum and punch through the glass right then and there that that would have been not, cool. not swim after him yeah the uh but also we get the second shot of him using something as a shield you know the first time is when he's getting the snot beat out of him in an alley and he grabs the trash can lid and he uses it as a shield and this time he grabs a car door and it happens to have yeah. the star on it and he uses that as a shield yeah, and when I saw that, I mean, I know the whole Captain America thing. I was trying not to perceive myself as if, oh, I, I know what that is. Right. But that's the second time we saw that, and I was like, there's got to be something about this now. Yep. But I thought it was pushing the Captain America thing all over the audience. No, no, it was. It was, it was definitely trying to telegraph something. Yeah. Yeah. But Because I know myself, I'm a little guy, Steve. If I was going to take on somebody... I don't grab something to defend myself. I go on the offense. You know, I, I'm not going to be like, okay, I'll just hide behind a piece of metal. No. Well, I, I, can, I can see both sides, you know, when you're putting that fight or flight, you know, some people do the fight back, but the other people, you know, they, they, they do the, the flight and they say, okay, this thing is just too overwhelming. I need to defend myself. I, I can see both sides of it. It, using a shield to help out to survive. Okay. Trying to do. And then, um, but yeah, no, I also understand your point too. It's just go balls to the walls. and just. Die. Yeah. Yeah. It, but here's the thing. Yes. If they have guns, you want to hide behind a shield. Uh, that being said, I know the Nazis had stormtroopers. <laughs> yeah. And like stormtroopers, no one in this movie can hit anything either. <laughs> because he's, He's got, it's covering his torso. Shoot at his feet. Shoot at his head. It's like I used to teach my soccer players. Why are you aiming for the goalie? Aim for all the space around the goalie. Yeah. Uh, Drives me crazy. Okay, with Erskine dead and the super soldier formula lost, the SSR is ordered to join the war and engage Hydra directly. However... Phillips decides to leave Rogers behind and allow scientists to study him in an attempt to rediscover Erskine's formula. Senator Brandt approaches Rogers and instead offers him the chance to tour the nation for the USO to promote war donations using his image as the strong, ideal soldier as a symbol for the public to rally behind, which Rogers accepts. During his work for the USO, Rogers performs in scripted stage shows as the star-spangled man, Captain America. As Rogers continues touring across the country, Captain America gains great popularity among the public, leading to increasingly more elaborate shows, as well as making appearances in film strips, comic books, wink, wink, and other memorabilia. Eventually, Rogers begins to grow weary of being paraded around while not being able to have a more direct role alongside those actively fighting in the war. This was genius to put in the movie. I, I, this is everything that I was worried the movie was going to be, and they totally mock it. So, was this is this storyline with him joining and doing all the USO stuff? Is that part of the comics? No, 
No. Everything you see in there was basically all the rah-rah Captain America stuff of those old comics. They yeah. turned that character of him into this USO scripted version. So it's kind of like, okay, yes, we could totally see why they would use this as a figure, you know, during that time for people to rah-rah behind. But what's great about it is that immediately after seeing all the USO shows, you see him in front of actual soldiers. And that's where you go like, okay, I see where this movie is going now. I'm in. I'm in. They, they, they took what we knew about Captain America, they flipped it on its head, and now he's going to actually become the Captain America of what we would like to see today. Yeah. Your thoughts? Uh, well, <laughs> I, I slightly disagree. That's okay. You can not you can slightly, like you, can, you can greatly disagree if you wish. No, I know. No, no, I only say slightly because I understand your point of view. I really do. Um, but in this part of the movie, I think it was like the first time or the third time that I saw this, I was just, this might've been the part I probably fell asleep at. Yeah. And which is interesting because it's very rah, rah, rah. It's always, it's a lot of energy involved in all of these scenes. But I was just like, I, I, I understand. He wants to do good for his um, country and all that. And, but I'm just like, he kind of sold out. No, he, he totally did. And I was just like, in the in the U.S. Army knows that they have like this massive weapon <laughs> at their disposal, and they just put a little bow on it. And I was just like, no. Yeah. I mean, I kind of agreed with um, the uh, with Tommy Lee Jones's character. I can't remember, but um, I, I agreed with him to make study him so they know what this weapon really is and then use it so that they can start using the serum. But well, I, I know you got to make a storyline out of this Captain America. I get that, but I just felt like he just sold out and he just settled. And he, and with all the energy that he wanted to do to finally get something and do something good, he just settled. Well, let's keep in mind something here is that he was left behind. Phillips didn't want to take him because he thought he was just an experiment, one of Erskine's experiments. He's left behind, so he has no purpose. And that's when Brandt comes up to him saying, hey, you still want to contribute? You can do this. So it's not like he had the choice to do it. He wasn't allowed to go by General Phillips. Yeah, I guess the I guess if you thought I guess if you think of it this way, is this is a shoe in to get on the front lines, and I guess if Yeah. I believe that, which makes sense because that's exactly what happens in the movie. Yeah. So <laughs> But one of the big things in this is that people were wondering in this movie, is he gonna punch out Hitler like he did in the comics? And yes, he does on a stage. Yeah. Which I'm like, perfect. That, that That's how you do it. And then I love the fact that kids are reading Captain America comic books, and it's the actual comic books that were put out back then. Because yeah. they are fantastic, fantastical. Yeah, I did like that because then, it, again, I got to keep remembering and put put this mentality in my head that society and the public know about these or know about these figures yes and they know about captain america and they know that they're superheroes which just still boggles my mind right now <laughs> um that, you know it's like i kind of wish there was i kind of wish we lived in a world with uh an actual like these like a thor and uh you know a hulk somewhere That's we might neat. we might we don't know <laughs> I mean, last night, I mean, we're recording this early. We're recording this on July 5th. July 4th, there were fireworks everywhere. Who's to say Jubilee wasn't out there doing some shit? <sighs> <laughs> I, 
There you go. I, there you go. Yeah. Totally believable. <laughs> okay. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> Okay, Schmidt unveils his new Tesseract power weaponry to three Nazi officers sent to oversee his operation, but uses the weapon to kill the officers after they realize that Germany is among a list of Schmidt's intended targets. Well, then why did he unveil this crap to them? Okay, Schmidt uses this moment to declare his secession from the Third Reich, claiming that Hydra could grow no further in Adolf Hitler's shadow and will now follow his agenda. Hydra continued to siphon energy from the Tesseract using the stored energy to create a variety of weapons and integrated it into a range of vehicles and other technology, quickly giving the faction the potential to become a major threat to the warfront and the world at large. Do you notice you never see a Nazi symbol after this point? No. Oh, yeah, you don't see one at all. <laughs> it Was Hydra this big? Because... <laughs> uh... I think as soon as they uh, defected, they turned in. They turned in huge. Um, yeah. And you, you said before, this is why even, you know, show this technology to them. Since that was them defecting. That was them showing their power. And I kind of like it. I kind of like the fact that they just say, "Oh yeah, well everybody thinks the Nazis, Adolf Hitler, this huge, huge, the Third Reich." Right. Everybody knows the history of that. And then they got this, you know, team called Hydra. And they're like, "Oh, you're puny. You're nothing." And then they just assert the palms like, whoa. You know, okay, you guys are bigger. <laughs> you know what would have been a very ballsy and X-Men move to do in this movie is have the three officers be Goebbels and Hitler and all them in the final days. And this is actually how they died. Oh. X-Men would have done that because they like to insert themselves into the actual events and make it seem as though they were there all along. That, yeah. that would have been really, really cool to see is if they tried to do that back in 1942, if you will. Yeah. So, yeah. Okay, so we get to see some pretty cool weaponry here, which is practically unstoppable outside the fact that he's got, as Spaceballs would call it, a bunch of assholes firing the weapons. Um, yes. While on tour in Italy performing for active servicemen, as well as encountering his colleagues from the SSR, Rogers learns that Barnes's unit was lost in a battle against Hydra. Oh. Well, we didn't really know Bucky to begin with. <laughs> <laughs> that, that's how I felt! <laughs> uh. Despite Phillips' insistence of the vainness of the situation, Rogers refuses to believe that Barnes is dead and becomes determined to mount a solo rescue attempt, receiving help from Carter and Howard Stark, who fly him behind enemy lines. Rogers manages to sneak into Hydra's main factory, where he finds and frees most of the captive soldiers who begin a riot and start escaping while Rogers continues on to find Barnes, who he discovers in a separate room where he was being operated on. Okay, there's a lot to unpack here. Yes. Um, so Rogers learns that Bucky's dead. We really don't know a whole lot about Bucky. No, other than he's just a good friend. And even that was kind of, you know, in the beginning was, yeah, other than that, he's just a good friend. Yeah. But did, he, did, he, did he hear that he was dead or he was just missing? Uh. I thought, I think, he, I thought he mentioned that he was just like like MIA missing early. Uh, he's been yeah, captured. they're missing in action. Yeah, yeah. So okay. he learns this, but it's kind of like okay. And and then what I love is that. So okay, Steve Rogers couldn't convince Phillips to take him before there was a crisis. There was a crisis yeah. 
and knowing absolutely nothing about what he can do, he takes him now? These are problems. <laughs> yeah. This guy <laughs> yeah. Was just, I mean, well, no. I think back to the very beginning of the scene while in tour in Italy, it says this was just the guy who just got tomatoes thrown at him. Yeah. And now Bring you're going to use girls. him. Yeah. Sign this. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, which, you know, just to touch on that, I thought that was an absolutely perfect um, segue into that where he's doing it in front of the actual army men. And they're like, you don't, we, you don't have no idea who we are. We've been out here. Who the heck are you? Yeah. Yeah. Um, but, uh, but yeah, it was kind of unique that, uh, he all of a sudden decided to trust him. So we also get a little more with Carter, Peggy Carter and Howard Stark, which is basically the founding members of shield. Yes. Uh, and Howard Stark is okay. I don't know how you feel about Howard Stark in this. Uh, I look at Howard Stark as Tony Stark light. Yes. Very nice employee. Yes. Which is exactly how I described Justin <clears throat> Hammer. <laughs> well, a guy who none of his shit works. Uh, well, <laughs> it goes back to the montage of Howard's old Howard Stark talking to his son. He didn't have the technology. A lot of trial and error. Everything's just beginning. I give it to him then. Um, that's where I give him the pass. Yeah. But, uh, but he's just innovative and he's the new, he, he is the guy to go to in any kind of technology. And, at, you know, it, anytime he was on the screen, I wanted to watch him and know everything about him, even just how his facial expressions were just to see if it was just like Tony's. Well, then and you'll like, you, you will with... like agent Carter then when you watch it. Okay. Cause he's in that. Oh, okay. Yes. I tell Jamie, oh, she, she'll be in, but, um, <laughs> No, it was uh, it was interesting the banter between those two, um, Cap and Howard Stark. You know, um, they kind of didn't like each other, right? So, um, well, yeah, it, it makes that conversation later on in Avengers where he's like, "Yeah, my dad was a big fan of yours." <laughs> yeah, <laughs> um, he's always playing second fiddle basically to Captain America in his dad's eyes. Well, yeah, I mean, he created. He Captain America. Yeah, exactly. He really did. He really, I mean, he did because he was the one who was turning the dial there, giving him those uh, fighter rays, mm -hmm. you know, creating him. So it's just like, man, Howard Stark, after some, going back, seeing that, that, that whole scene where he's created, he is so freaking in, uh, influential in this whole entire series. Oh, yeah. He's done so much. He's yeah. pretty much created the Avengers. Yeah. But there's one other piece I want to get into this, and this, that is yeah. you meet the Howling Commandos for the first time in this. Okay. And it's got one of my favorite exchanges where they look at the Japanese guy, Jim Morita, who, by the way, is Mr. Miyagi's son. Oh. Yeah. Uh, Jim Morita, and they're like, well, where are you from? And he's like, California. <laughs> yeah i speak english out. yeah the old stereotype you see a, an asian yeah. or an asian american that he you know, speaks no english and it's like oh gosh yeah uh, okay we get to schmidt schmidt seeing the prisoners escaping and rogers moving through the facility sets the factory to self-destruct to cover hydra's operations and evacuate to another facility okay as the building begins to detonate 
Schmidt confronts Rogers on a high catwalk where he makes light of the similarities to Rogers following their mutual use of the super soldier serum. Schmidt expresses his belief that they have risen above the visage of normal humans before revealing his face to be a mask, removing it to display the red, skeletor, skull-like face that earned him the sobriquet, the Red Skull. (laughs) Schmidt and Zola make their escape while Rogers leads Barnes to the roof where they both barely managed to escape the factory themselves before regrouping with the escaped soldiers and marching back to base. Okay. What'd you think of Red Skull? Um, I liked him from the beginning. You know, there was something a little bit off with him and his face from the beginning when he finds a Tesseract and he kind of cracks his jaw yeah. to the uh, silhouette where he's getting his picture painted, um, where he's always in the shadows. And then I think there might've been a couple of times where you see some kind of dark or red kind of line going by his jawline. Like, There's something screwy with this. Shit. Again, <laughs> something screwy here. <laughs> no, um, something about his face. So when he kind of does it, well, and then you really see it when he punches them. Yes. And like half his face is like, juvenile. I was like, Oh God, what is that? And then he rips it off. And I was like, ouch. Yeah. You know, and then he's got this dark red. And says, that's where I guess was like, I was a little confused. It's like, how did he get, to that i mean okay i know he took the serum and all that but how did he get to his face turning red his bones being you know decrepit losing his i don't know and is his whole body like that or is it just his head you know um but i like the whole scene as you know a whole um and uh yeah what do you what what do you suspect uh hydra was doing with bucky barnes because they said they were experimenting on him that was a very interesting scene. I did like that when they were experimenting on him and the fact that they just didn't put everybody in cages. Yeah. But I think that was just, uh, they were taking those soldiers, putting them in cages to do what they were to do to Bucky. I think they were probably just trying to create uh, more super soldiers, repli- replicate, replicate, um, more Rogers, but in a mean sense, have more little mini red skulls. Right. Cause if they can take Captain America's blood and, and do that, then they should be able to do red yeah. skulls blood and do it. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Following the liberation of the Allied prisoners, Rogers gains his superior officer's respect and acknowledgement as a soldier and is given high rank and the chance to fight as Captain America as a key figure on the war front opposing Hydra directly. Rogers recruits his howling commandos, Barnes, Dum Dum Dugan, Gabe Jones, Jim Morita, James Montgomery Fallsworth and Jacques Dernier as his personal team of howling commandos to take out the other known Hydra operations. It's a great montage. Yeah. It's just a shame we don't get to spend more time with these guys. No, they seem like a good ragtag bunch of guys who would like, like your little quartet, of little Navy SEALs that will do anything for anybody yeah. in that group. You Okay. Now I got a story arc for you. Okay, here you go. This movie starts off with the Howling Commandos and Steve Rogers. Yeah. And Steve Rogers is the only one of them that's been experimented on. But he's just an underling. There's still a captain above them in this group. The captain dies early on by Red Skull's hand, and they are left without leadership. And this guy who you know has been experiment- experimented on and only sees himself as an experiment slowly but surely gains their respect, and becomes their Captain America. Now yeah. you've got a story arc. <laughs> yeah. 
Hell, you learn more about Bucky Barnes. You learn more about the Howling Commandos. It means more. Yeah, it does. Uh, all right. <laughs> Marvel, I, I am free. <laughs> I, I, not, I'm on summer vacation. I've got nothing to do. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> okay for the next oh no, let's see uh let's see howard stark outfits riders with advanced equipment including a durable custom combat uniform and a circular shield made of vibranium for his circular body seems as though they just took away a whole lot of shield yeah <laughs> passes up on all these uh other items and says oh what about this yeah what about this frisbee looking color thing? <laughs> For the next two years, Rogers and his Howling Commandos lead a strong offensive, sabotaging various Hydra operations, much to Schmidt's frustration. Now, did you know this took place over two years? Uh, I wish they would have alluded to that like something, but I, I had to assume that, you know, they didn't go to uh, factory to factory in mere days. Yeah. Um, so, I don't know, and especially how you kind of, whenever you kind of have a montage like that in the movie, you got to assume that some time has passed in between. Okay. So, I, I, I didn't think of it at the time, but I also probably just understood it in the back of my head that, okay, this is over, over some time. Oh, okay, okay. Yeah, because I, until I read that, I was like, it's been two years? I thought it'd been a couple months. Oh. But, yeah, okay. Well, two years, you know, Even I'm sorry, Captain America... Two years? You're Captain yeah. freaking America. No, I, no, I don't agree. <laughs> okay, in 1945, the team later assaults a train carrying Zola. Rogers and Barnes engage in a fight with the soldiers on the train, during which Barnes falls from the train to his apparent death. Wink, wink. While Jones locates Zola on the train and captures him. Rogers is deeply affected by the loss of his best friend, even though the audience isn't, and is convinced by Carter to use his sorrow as motivation to put an end to Hydra for good. Using information extracted from Arnim Zola, the final Hydra stronghold is located, and Rogers leads an attack to stop... Yes? <laughs> Rogers leads an attack to stop Schmidt from using weapons of mass destruction on the United States. So how did Khaleesi feel about this? <laughs> well, I think she saw. <laughs> Khaleesi is well, Steve's dog. Actually, I, will tell, I will tell you exactly how she felt about this whole scene, because I felt almost the same exact way. This whole scene was solo. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> or was solo this scene? Oh, well, I guess this came first. I know, and they're both bad. <laughs> <laughs> I, I had to stop and pause and think to myself. So she, she probably was saying, you better mention Solo. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. This train scene, in theory, and storyboards probably makes a good, sounds good. But when you think that, okay, Captain America He's definitely stronger than everybody else. He's definitely more athletic than everybody else. I can see him landing on a train and not falling off. The rest of these yeah. guys, I don't see that happening. Well, yeah. Yeah. The whole, yeah. <laughs> I mean, that being whole, said, it's Bucky and, and right. Bucky lands on it. It's like, okay, yeah, I'm just as good as you. Let's do this. And no, Buck, well, Buck, Buckster, I, you're not. No, no. I 
what was he? Because we saw him on the table getting experimented. Did they do anything to him? Did they put any kind of serum into him? Well, I guess if they had written a better story, we might know. <laughs> well, I mean, I, I think I go on the believability that he was on the operating table and they had done something to him. Okay. Or maybe they didn't finish it and he has something unique about him. Maybe that was their little foreshadowing to that. Like, hey, Captain America done it. Hey, Bucky's done it. The uh, you get a shot of Captain America trying to drink and he can't, can't get drunk. Yes, yes, yeah, because he's uh, and then they explain all of his uh abilities. His metabolism is so high, which made me think. Yes, is that the same serum that Jessica Jones has? Okay. <laughs> if I if I may indulge in something with Jessica Jones here because I've just finished season three. Uh, I liked it. At the end of it, I thought to myself, how did she get her powers? Mm -hmm. Is it ever explained on the show? I've only been, I'm only on episode two in the third season and it it has never been explained. I have no idea. Yeah. It's just said that she was in a car accident and then she came out of it with powers. So unless that car accident had some random needle flying around in it with super serum in it that happened to hit her in the jugular or something, I don't know. Although she does get stabbed in season three. Oh, wait. Steve can get stabbed also. Yes. Yeah. Okay. So they're not bulletproof. They're not knife. No, not Luke Cage. They're not Luke Cage. (laughs) (laughs) The Swiss Army knife of that entire universe, if you will. Just bring Luke oh, yeah. in. It, th- you win. He's yeah. Superman. Yeah. Oh, okay. Um, <laughs> where are we? Okay, Rogers climbs aboard the Valkyrie, Hydra's massive aircraft bomber, as it takes off. During the subsequent fight, a machine containing the Tesseract is damaged. Schmidt physically handles the Tesseract, which opens a wormhole into space, sucking him into it in bright light. Wow. The the cube falls to the floor, burning through the plane like the acid blood in Alien and falling into the ocean. Seeing no way to land the plane without the risk of detonating its weapons, Rogers instead crashes it into or it crashes it on the Arctic shelf while making a sorrowful goodbye to Carter, making a promise to take her dancing, knowing he would never be able to make the date. Stark later recovers the Tesseract from the ocean floor, but is unable to locate Rogers' body or Schmidt's aircraft. Okay. Steve? So Let's get into our problems at this. (laughs) Okay. First one that I immediately want to talk about is, is this the first time that the Tesseract has actually... um, I, I know it's the first time it's been handled by hand, but when you said it burned through everything through this hole, and I know it, they always handled it through that contraption, yep. which has got to be made of something special because it didn't burn through that. A vibranium? Um, no, there's only so much. Yeah, so I was like, it was just so easily lost. And I yes. Was like, and I was just like, okay, I guess, I don't know. It just seemed kind of womp womp. <laughs> he can hold it in his gloved hand. He can put yeah. it in a metal machine, but if it hits any metal grating, it's lost. Yeah, no, I don't. True. I don't buy it. I would have rather seen it go the way the the ring did in Lord of the Rings, where it just it shot out the window or something. Yeah, I agree. Um, the only rebuttal I can do against 
uh, Red Skull holding it yep. and not burning through his hand. But he did take a serum that went wrong. So <laughs> he does have a little bit of that superness in him, I guess. Okay. And uh, that's probably why it didn't burn through him. But then I question, did he like accidentally hit a button on there to take him through the wormhole? You know, okay. okay. What yeah. activated that? Okay. And, and going off of your point, uh, it's established in Guardians of the Galaxy, though, that no human can handle an Infinity Stone unless yes. they're half-god, basically. Yes. So does a super serum make you on par with half-god? I would, I would agree with that. I we're totally we're building a whole new mythology you, audience out there. <laughs> you, have, you, have, you have super abilities. Everything has been amplified. They're godlike. You're not you're not like anything on this whole planet. It's almost like a Superman. Okay. Then going with that conceit, mm-hmm. later on, we see Captain America wield Mjolnir, which apparently is only if you're worthy of being a nice guy. But yeah. only half gods have handled this damn thing. Yeah. So, I don't know where I'm going with this. It all makes sense because he's he's godlike. So it has nothing to do with the whole he who is worthy. (sighs) (laughs) It's really just more like he who has the right bloodline. I well, no, I think no, I think you have to be worthy. That was what Odin put on it. And um, but Vision handles it. <laughs> I'm gonna go with the exclamation that says, "Well, I don't know that yet." <laughs> <laughs> okay, now my next problem <laughs> with this scene. So he's gonna ram the ship into the Arctic Shelf. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, we get that he's pretty much indestructible, but he can bleed. First of all, if he takes that thing into the Arctic shelf, I don't care how, it, dude would be decapitated, arms all over the place. It, it'd be disgusting, the inside of that, that entire ship. But also, they don't know where it is. Weren't they tracking the damn ship? Unless he turned everything off. But he didn't because he was radioing her the entire way until he crashes. Well, this is an older technology. Could he have like <laughs> turned all that off but had his radio on? Because that is an old form of communication. I guess if you're if you can here's the thing if you can explain it away and I can't prove it wrong, we have to assume you're correct. <laughs> I, I, I yeah no I uh, but but then again I go back. This is also Howard Stark's plane. I'm sure. Well, his name's over everything. Uh, yeah. So there's got to be some advanced technology, something in there for them to uh, track it. Because I don't think Howard Stark would make something that somebody can easily just go turn the switch off. Um, so but, plus, yeah. this, plus, this was a Hydra ship. It wasn't Stark ship. Oh, you're right. You're right. It was a Hydra ship. Yeah. But I'm sure they use some kind of Stark technology. It's <laughs> <laughs> um, more Stark technology, but put in the wrong hands. <laughs> yeah. Uh, okay. So. They find the Tesseract, and they can't find Rogers' body or Schmidt's aircraft. They just they just lose shit now. Um, it cuts to black, and you pretty much assume the movie's over at this point. Mm-hmm. 
And Rogers awakens in a 1940-style hospital room, deducing from an anachronistic radio broadcast that he was out of place. He flees outside into what is revealed to be present-day Times Square, where Nick Fury tells him he has been asleep for nearly 70 years. Stunned by this revelation, Rogers' only response is, he had a date. And I like that last line, but at the same time, if I was him, I'd have so many other freaking questions. <laughs> yeah, I would probably would have passed out from shock. It's just like, what, what, what? He runs out to the now modern Times Square, yeah, which is probably next to uh, almost nothing at the time. I mean, I'm sure it was a hustle bustle, but not all the electronics and videos and whatnot. That would have been just sensory overload. Um, I like the scene, too. I think I, I when this scene popped up, I kind of almost forgot about it. And I was like, oh. Oh, that's right. Okay. I kind of remember this now. Yeah. And um, I remember the first time I saw it and I was just like, oh, everything's fine. I thought it was a dream thing. At okay. First. And then the other person comes in and says, oh, okay, I guess this is legit. Okay. I guess they found him and he's fine. Yeah. And then all of a sudden things start happening where he starts questioning. I was like, oh, wait a minute. This is, whoa. It, 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 the whole scene took me by surprise. I didn't know it was going to go that way. And I thought it was really neat. Well, and, and here's the thing. You you have to sit there and suspend your belief a little bit with the radio thing because I've been to my share of sports games. I'm sure you have also. Could you hear five minutes of a radio broadcast of that and know that you were at that game? Oh, heck no. Yeah. There's no way in hell I'd be able to, especially a baseball game, which is 162 games in a season. Oh, heck no. <laughs> How do you know I'm that's also- the one? Oh, I don't have a super serum, which makes my super brain have super memory. Oh, well, well it's an, it's enhancing everything. Yes. <laughs> you got him some, some super dong in his pants. All hey, right. I wasn't going to go there. You I know. went there. <laughs> okay, so it cuts to credits. Uh, and then the post credit scene is the first time we see a post credits that's not a scene, but a trailer. Yeah. And it's Steve is in an old-fashioned gym. He's beating the hell out of a punching bag so hard they knocks it off its chain and sends it flying across the room. And I'm like, wow, I like this, Captain America. Yes. Yeah. Uh, Fury enters the gym and asks Steve if he's having trouble sleeping. Steve cynically asks if Fury has come with another mission, and Fury replies to the positive. And the rest of the post credit scene is a preview for Marvel's Avengers. And I remember seeing this in the theater, and I'm pretty sure I couldn't get up for five minutes afterwards. I was just half-masked the entire time. Yeah. It looks so cool. It did. And I actually, all the post credits that we've seen so far, um, I actually had the question, like, is this the real post credit? Did they really just put a, just a trailer at the end of this? <laughs> I almost kind of wish they would have stopped it after Nick Fury talks. Yeah. The fact that they put a trailer at the end, I, I'm sorry. I kind of didn't like that. Well, it's kind of fun. It's funny because the scene itself that you see where he's in the gym is a scene from Avengers, it turns out. Yes, yes. So it's not even a post-credit, as we've traditionally seen. It's more just like a it's a teaser. Yeah. Now wait a year. Oh, uh, yeah. <laughs> I just yeah, I just didn't like the fact that I, even after that, they, they showed a full trailer of, of the Avengers movie. I just wish they would have ended it with uh, those two in the gym. Yeah, but there's a lot of things to glean off of this if you've never seen any of these movies, and that is you see things like this massive 
aircraft carrier and you see this command thing that Nick Fury's in front of and yeah. Loki's there. Loki's there Loki what the hell <laughs> and I mean you seeing all your heroes in the same room it's kind of like oh yes but you notice who they didn't really have highlighted in this movie or in that trailer um, they didn't have Mark Ruffalo uh, Mark oh this before the uh, Mark Ruffalo signing? No, this is after, but they show Hulk. They just don't show Mark Ruffalo as the Hulk. They show Hulk. They don't show Bruce Banner. Oh. Yeah. And when we get into the oh, Avengers cool one, okay. they do something really cool with introducing the new actor, if you will. To play. Yeah. We'll get into that later on. But that's where the movie ends. Now, according to the top critics at Rotten Tomatoes, it has a tomato meter reading of 76%. 51 fresh reviews and 12 rotten. And the critics on average gave this film a 6.5 out of 10. Woo. It's a 65%. Mm. Yeah. That's uh, yeah. The audience was more forgiving. They gave it a 74% with uh, a 3.75 out of 5 with 74% agreeing it's a 3 or higher. Audiences tend to be a little more forgiving of these things than critics were. But uh, would you say the critics were kind of on, in the right track with this one? Uh, uh, I think the critics, well, it's, it's, it's a critic hat. I don't know. I think they were maybe it's just a little too harsh on it. Yeah. I mean, I'd be curious to read some of them now because I have a feeling they probably uh, took some, I shouldn't say take my considerations uh, heavily into it, but um, I don't know. I think they were a little harsh on it. To be okay. I think the crit, I think the uh, audience score was a little bit more forgiving. Yeah. But maybe that was just because I wonder if it actually, the audience score went up after they saw the Avengers trailer. <laughs> <laughs> you, oh, kind of like Darth Vader at the end of Rogue One? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Okay, so the movie's over, Steve. Were you entertained? Yeah, I was. Heck yeah, it was a whole lot of fun. It was a great origin. Um, I would put it right up there with um, close to Iron Man. Okay. Um, the more I watched it, <laughs> the fourth time, um, <laughs> the more, more I get out of it. So the more I learn about Cap, because there's probably there's always something that I miss, even if I go back and watch it a fifth time, um, there would be something else. Oh, I didn't even realize that before, especially yeah. after talking about it now. So how about you? What did you think? Well, I'm going to echo your sentiments here. Uh, the more I watch it, the more I get out of it. But <laughs> that does not necessarily mean I'm entertained. I, I find little things here and there now that I've seen all these movies that I appreciate more. But for some reason, I don't know what it is. There is something about the aesthetic of this movie that just does not grab me. I, I, I can't figure it out. But there's just something there that I'm like, I, I can't get fully invested in this, in this. In fact, I would dare say I was more entertained by The Incredible Hulk. That, that, them fighting words. Right I, I know, I know, I know, I know. But <laughs> let's figure out whether the awards got it right and whether this movie's worth your time or not. All right. Well, at the Academy Awards, the Academy deemed it completely unworthy of having any nominations, as did the popular kids' table, the Golden Globes. They also gave it zero nominations. So where do you go when you can't win anything? You go to the Saturn Awards. And uh, it got four nominations there. One for Best Actor, which it did not take home. Uh, Chris Evans was, you know, he did not win Best Actor for this. And I'm looking on this list of people here, and I don't think I've seen half these movies. 
No, I definitely have not. And I completely agree because even we questioned the character development in this movie. So. Yeah. Uh, for best costume, well, Cap, you lost again. But this time it went to your Marvel, your Marvel brother, Thor. Uh, Thor won. It beat Anonymous. Harry Potter and the Deathly Hallows Part 2. Hugo. Sherlock Holmes. Do you think Captain America should have gotten the award here, or did Thor deserve it? I, you know, it's tough because usually these um, World War II, these period pieces, um, to do all the costumes and all that is just usually extraordinary because you got to go back in time and recreate all these. Yeah. So I was a little bit surprised, but then again, Thor, they went back even further. It was more medieval like. Yes. Um, so that's what I, I, that's where I would still give Thor the nod on that one. Okay. Yeah. I, I gotta say, you know, Captain America they did a great job of the aesthetic of 1940s uh, culture, but Thor created Asgard and the yeah. people of Asgard. And JC made a really good point when he was on the show for Thor, and that was Asgard is everybody in a higher position looks filthy rich and militant. Everybody that's a low level looks like a peasant. That's, there is no mid mid level there. Yeah, that's the old English, you know. Medieval yeah. time type mentality, so uh, no, I agree with it. It was nominated for Best Music, but it lost that one to uh, Michael Giacchino's Super 8. And Alan Silvestri did Captain America the First Avenger. Howard Shore, the guy from Lord of the Rings, did Hugo. Michael Giacchino also did Mission Impossible Ghost Protocol, and John Williams did two movies that year, Adventures of Tintin and War Horse. I'm sorry, if you go back in time, Captain America's theme is more recognizable than anything else on there. Yeah, even the music during the uh, during the credits before the post credit scene. Yeah, um, it was. Uh, yeah, I thought they. I I've seen Super Eight, but I saw this movie. I wasn't paying attention much to the music, which makes me think, why would the heck did that one win? Um, so Super, here's the thing: yeah. Michael Giacchino is great at evoking emotion out of people. I mean, yeah. he's the guy that did Lost. Okay. Yeah. So all of his music has those very simple tones, but for some reason, just nail you and Super 8 will make you tear up at the end but Alan Silvestri's Captain America it is it's fun it's militant it's 1940s it it, it feels right and there's a reason oh, yeah. why they brought this guy in then afterwards to be like hey Alan I know you did a good job here can you do the Avengers can you do Infinity War can you do Endgame I mean it's him yeah and you're saying all that and I'm getting goosebumps already so yeah. why didn't this guy win <laughs> <laughs> uh, it, it was up for best production design. It lost to Hugo because people love to blow Hugo. Um, best science fiction film. It was up for that, but it lost to Rise of the Planet of the Apes. I got to. Uh, I got to agree. Rise is better. Uh, me too. Yeah. Yes. Yes. I agree. Uh, it lost in best special effects to Rise of the Planet of the Apes, and I have to agree. <laughs> yes. Yes. I agree. Uh, best supporting actor. Andy Serkis wins for Rise of the Planet of the Apes. Uh, Stanley Tucci, Dr. Erskine was up for this. He's not even the best supporting. I, no. He's the seventh guy in that movie. Yeah. But here's the thing. Tom Hiddleston was up for Thor. He should have won because Andy Serkis wasn't a supporting actor in that. He was the main guy in Rise of the Planet of the Apes. I don't need to say anything because he took the words right out of my mouth. <laughs> <laughs> Seriously, he should have been for best actor. Yeah. And then Tom Hiddleston would have won. There you go. Yeah, Loki wins. Okay, now we go to the MTV Movie Awards. It got one nomination for Best Hero. 
And the teens across America said, no, it's Harry Potter. Screw you. No, it would be... I, I even might even... Well, I would put Cap... I would have Captain America over Thor. I would... Hero. So, that's like, that's who would be that. your win for that group? Because the, the nominations were Harry Potter, Jenko from 21 Jump Street, Captain America, Thor, and Katniss Everdeen from The Hunger Games. Uh, I would choose Captain America. Okay. I, I think I'd also... I would choose Captain America also, but I would believe an argument for Katniss when the Hunger Games came out. Yeah. The subsequent movies, now you watch those, you go, no, she, no she's not winning that. Okay. So we're done with that. On to our next segment titled Top 3, Bottom 3. This is where we talk about the three things we want to highlight in this movie, and then we go over the three things that are bad, unforgivable, or downright travesties. Let's start with the top three. Steve. What are your top three things in Captain America, the first Avenger? All right. Um, my number three was uh, Stark's involvement throughout the movie. Again, whenever he was on screen, I was just interested to see where the snips of Tony to learn better about him. Mm-hmm. Um, it was just, you know, now that I've seen the Iron Man, the Iron Man 2, and how important Tony is, and then you see his dad and the relationship he used to have with his dad, and now you get to see his dad himself. It's like, okay. Okay. Let me learn about him through his father. And I think you actually said it best. It was uh, Tony Stark light because there was at times where he had the, um, or Howard Stark that had that good soul. Um, but also he could have been, a, he could have been a little bit of a tool, you know, his banter <laughs> with, uh, with Carter just to get a rise out of cap. Granted, right. Cap put the wrong way. But, um, I, that, that's the part where I saw a little bit of Tony. Um, the transformation, my number two, the transformation from scrawny cap to big cap. Right. The entire process from them walking into this old antique where this old lady comes out and just says this line, waiting for the password, going into this secret, you know, um, facility in right. this old store, and then coming out of the capsules when he was done. I just enjoyed that whole transformation process. It was just, <laughs> it was suspenseful just the entire time. Okay. Um, and then number one, Tommy Lee Jones. I loved his I loved his one-liners. I loved his banter with the, all the other actors on screen. And he is one of the few people, if the only person, who brings the humor to this movie. Yes. Um, because there was very, very little humor at all. And he just does a great job. So that's my three. All right. Um, Joe, what about you? What did you like? Okay. Well, my number three is the fact that he's used as a PR tool rather than a soldier at the beginning. It, it it feels more like what would have actually happened. Uh, leave it to America to create something amazing and go, eh, it's a floor model. <laughs> <laughs> Great job flipping the original story on its head. Uh, my number two, it was almost my number one, and that is the music feels very much a part of the time period. Yeah, Alan Silvestri, you done good. Every time I hear the music, I get psyched up. Um, it, it's just it's it's a fun march if you will yeah and then my number one uh the conversation between peggy and steve as he's going to crash the crane into the arctic it means so much more now that we have seen endgame uh because that right there basically is the shadow over captain america for the next i don't know 18 movies (laughs) yeah so I love that conversation and the way Endgame ends, which we'll get into, you know, in 18 more podcasts. 
we'll go back to this movie and discuss it. <laughs> oh, gosh, yes. All right. Let's move on to the bottom three. It's time to vent, Steve. What are they? Okay. Um, Cap, my number three, Cap and Carter's relationship. It's weird again. It's almost exactly like Tony and Pepper Potts, um, which is so incredibly unique now because of Cap and Tony's relationship. Yes. They're different. They're, they're, they're exactly the same. Um, I didn't, I didn't get it then. I still don't get it now. There was a lot of playing hard to get. I guess I knew that he really liked her, but she was playing hard to get. And then whenever they were on screen, it was like, Oh, we got to keep everything business. But you know, then all of a sudden I like you because you jumped on the plane and when they're looking at each other and then I was like, oh, it was it was inconsistent. And I didn't really care for that. Well, if, um, I, if I may add to that, and that is that's it's a different dynamic than Tony and Pepper, because Tony is Pepper's superior in this. Peggy Carter is Cap's superior. Yes. So yeah. you have the same dynamic. It's just flipped upside down. And because of that, yeah. we get a whole lot of what the hell? <laughs> yeah. And it was it. I really took a t- I really took a dislike to this part when they were in the when they're in the taxi or the car going to the facility where he gets transformed. Mm-hmm. And I guess is the scrawny guy, you know, who's who's I don't know. He always put his like the shy guy. He had some pretty brass comments to try to, you know, impress Car- and try to impress Carter. Um, well, I just was look- looking for the right partner. You know, little, little yeah. secret innuendos like I'll just come out and say that you like her. But I don't know. He didn't um, shy away from kissing Marjorie Tyrell either. Well, I think that was a lot of Marjorie Tyrell. <laughs> I think he just kind of was like, okay. He just, he just kind of, that's still a fun story. She does, she does shoot a, a, a gun at him several times. <laughs> yeah. Um, my number two, I hate to say it, Red Skull. Oh, no. Um, I feel like he's still an unknown in this film. Okay. Um, I wish I knew more about how he transformed into his menacing, disfigured self. Why he turned red? Why not blue? Why not yellow? Why not purple? Why red? You know, um, and how his face got so disfigured. I mean, oh, I guess maybe it's not disfigured. It's more like just his skin fell off. Yeah, um, yeah. Why did he turn red? You know, I, it's, it just seems like the only thing that changed about him was his appearance when he took this serum. That's it. I still think he was this super dominant um I want to take over the world before he even took this. Mm-hmm. And if he takes the serum, that's supposed to amplify it by like 20. Okay. So I don't feel like his personality really changed after taking that serum. All right. Uh, but his, it was just his figure. Um, so I, I wish I would have known more, like a little bit more backstory on him. Okay. Um, and then my number one was a special effects in this movie. It felt like a sci-fi Channel C movie budget. Ooh, shots fired. The train, Damn. The, tra- the train scene, any of the action scenes where the, the montage of them going after the factories. Um, again, the train scene reminded me of Solo. Ooh, jeez. <laughs> um, uh, you know, you didn't even get anything like that in any of the Iron Man movies. Now, I understand the budget was a little bit bigger, but then maybe they should have spent more money. I don't know. Is this this... <laughs> Was this uh, Marvel's way of like, I know what the, no pun intended, the end game is going to be. Oh, look at him go. We need to save our budget because this is when it really matters. <laughs> um, 
know. Maybe they should have just spent more. I would have, but that just turned me off big time. Again, I felt like I was watching a sci-fi movie. <laughs> so wow. um, that's mine. I don't know. But Joe, your turn to bet. Go ahead, buddy. What were your bottom Arrogance may not be a uniquely American trait, but I must say you do it better than anyone. Oh, that's classic. <laughs> okay. So my my number three, the shield's mechanics. Why the heck does it come back to him? Oh, yeah. It's almost like, like a boomerang, but not shaped like a boomerang. Right. It's explained later on through Tony Stark's tech that he's got this little like thing that calls it back to his arm, but not in this movie. So yeah, I hate that. I hate that you can just like whip it around. It can like does everything he wanted to do perfectly. I I would have liked to have seen some error, if you will, in what he was doing with it. Yeah. Um. My number two is we need more time with Bucky and Steve before they kill Bucky. I, I just don't, I don't feel like it establishes their tightness. I get that they're friends, but the end of the line friends, I'm not getting that. I'm just yeah. getting their buddies. That's it. They seemed pretty emotional when he took the final plunge, but R- then... Yeah, you really didn't really know, like, were they childhood friends no, yeah. or whatnot? Did they just meet in the army? No, that's a very good point. And my biggest problem with that whole thing is that he plays such a massive role later on as Winter Soldier and then in Civil War. And in Civil War, the big beef is, why would Steve cover for this guy? Well, if you knew more about their friendship earlier on, you might understand his perspective a little better as opposed to, He's just protecting a friend. That's it. Like, how close are they? You know? Yeah. Uh, and my number one is, <laughs> I said it early in the podcast, Captain America, Steve Rogers, has zero character arc in this movie. Um, he is the same human being at the beginning as he was at the end. The only difference is what's on the outside. Yep. That's it. Uh, the inside person that Dr. Erskine mentioned you know, yeah, he needs somebody that's a good person on the inside. Well, he's still a good person. He's still, still, still pretty dandy. Uh, well, if it's if the end is well, he sacrificed himself. He sat on a freaking grenade earlier for his platoon. He was going to do it then also. Yeah. So yeah, I, that that's that's my big beef, with, and that's probably one of the big reasons why I have a problem with this movie is because I've it just feels like I'm watching a highlight reel. Yeah, you know, is yeah, there's very few people who actually had any kind of art. Well, are I'm you ready for the critics rating? Yeah, All I'm right. ready for it. Let's do it. Okay, <laughs> well, we use an A to F scale here on the movie planet. A C is considered average, A is the highest, F is the lowest. If the movie is so bad it receives Fs from all the hosts, it goes to a new category of movie, the movie planet Global Killer, a category of movie where you can watch it ironically and have an amazing time at how bad it is. So... The question is, what do you give Captain America, the first Avenger, in the comic book feature film genre? Steve, you get to start us off. Go. So, I thought the film was fun. I mentioned that kind of after I saw the film. Um, (laughs) Granted, it's the fourth time I've seen it. Um, (laughs) I noticed a lot more Easter eggs this time, and I'm a guy who really enjoys seeing that because I like making um, secret connections that the movie kind of inputs in there. Yep. the special effects bugged me. I laughed <laughs> when I saw scrawny Steve Rogers. It to me, I'm sorry, it just looks so bad. Um, 
worse than my critic of Airbrush Man from Incredible Hulk. Ooh, <laughs> that was even worse. That, that, wow, that that's taking a low level. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, eventually, it got better because you know, one, I think I just was had to get used to it, and um, as long as it wasn't a close-up scene. And again, I, you alluded to it earlier, and I guess as long as he had some clothes on or a military garb, it was fine. But when they did the close-up scene in the beginning, you first saw it, I didn't like it. And then when they did the close-up scene when he's laying on the um, operating table about to get the serum, it just looked weird to me then. Um, it just looks forced on his body. So um, I enjoyed this origin story better than Thor. Because oh. Thor had his powers, and, cha- and he, he changed his personality at the end. This movie was the exact opposite. <laughs> Steve Rogers is an everyday Joe that got his big break. Um, he's more relatable to me and I think to everybody because he wasn't a god. He wasn't a genius billionaire or he wasn't a mad scientist. He embodied the average American. This okay. is why I put slightly above Thor in terms of origin. As a story, I enjoyed this over Thor as well. I give Captain America... Actually, I'm going to change my grade now. What? And this is because of you, because I think I got to knock it down what? because of the lack of character development in this film. <laughs> Seriously, you, you point that out, and I was like, oh my gosh, I didn't even realize that. He is the same from the beginning all the way to the end. Whoa, so what are you, I, what are you giving I, it then? I had it at a B plus, almost an A, I want to knock it down a little bit further to just a B. Um, if the special effects, um, two were, I think the special effects were um, not as good as Iron Man, and that was a huge big factor to me. Iron Man still rules. That's my thought. Joe, you're the MCU guru. What's your grade, my friend? Okay, so. Uh... First and foremost, this is probably the second hardest origin movie to create in the Phase 1 films. Thor was the hardest because of how crazy it was. The challenge with this movie was how do you make Captain America not only believable, but also be taken seriously in a very cynical America today. Uh, Cast-wise, it introduces Captain America, Red Skull, Arnim Zola, Peggy Carter, Howard Stark, who's basically Justin Hammer in my eyes, and the Winter Soldier, Bucky Barnes. All great characters, but the most important one of them all, Bucky, you really don't get to know outside the fact that him and Steve are friends. In the grand scheme of things where his story is going to go next, and in regards to the controversial decision Steve Rogers makes in the future, this needed to be developed more. Now, Chris Evans is perfect for this role. He is Heath Ledger to the Joker. Uh, He plays wholesome really well. And Tommy Lee Jones and Hugo Weaving both give great weight to their characters being the experienced actors that they are. And uh, Peggy Carter does a good job of, or Haley Atwell plays a, a good Peggy, Peggy Carter. A, a, a no, don't screw with me, high up shield founding mother, if you will. Uh, plot wise, the story is nearly perfect, if not for one. Eh, slight detail, and that's our hero doesn't have an arc. <laughs> Everyone around him does. Steve Rogers' character is the same at the beginning as he is at the end. There is no growth outside of his physical nature. The only thing that changes is the perception of him by others around him. The other issue with this plot is it really meanders. 
although I like the feel of the scenes, I also think for some reason, perhaps the way that they're edited or the way they're scripted, it makes it feel long. Thor had a great pace. This one seems to feel like someone driving a sports car, yet have never used a stick shift before. Organizationally, this movie introduces Hydra and the beginnings of S.H.I.E.L.D., which will echo through Winter Soldier and Civil War, but then after that are largely forgotten. If this was a standalone trilogy of Captain America movies, this movie would be an A- as an origin story. Maybe even an A, depending on where the other movies go. However, being an origin story of a movie that's not just in a trilogy, but also in the MCU too, it's going to get dinged a few more points for what it sets up. It's, it's not fair, I know. It, to be so harsh on this film for something that was so far into the future, there's no way they could have predicted where it was going to go. Heck, they were just thinking Avengers at this point, and really not too much farther unless it was conceptually. However, history tends to be the ultimately ultimate frying pan, and when we throw this one in, we may have misjudged the heat settings. Overall, I'm giving this movie a B+. It's necessary for understanding his origin... But of the origin story so far, it's behind Iron Man and Thor, but above Incredible Hulk. So, I'm giving Very it a B plus. You give it a B. That gives it a 9.5, which puts it above Thor. But now we've got to boot a movie out in our pantheon. And the bottom two movies are Green Lantern at a C plus and Iron Man 2 at a C plus. Now, Green Lantern has the slight edge at 7.667. Iron Man 2's got a 7.5. Steve, what say you? Do you think we should keep Green Lantern or keep Iron Man 2? Uh, if I had my choice, I would. I would keep Iron Man too. <laughs> okay. And I personally would keep Green Lantern. <laughs> oh, <geez. laughs> so, uh, because I'm feeling saucy, um, I'm going to let you, if you will, uh, next week when we do Avengers, give us your grade of Green Lantern. All right. And then whatever that grade ends up being, we'll figure out whether or not it's getting booted out or not. Because okay. I agree. I you know, they're they're neck and neck. So if I if if you're gonna have a, a moment here to to pull Iron Man 2 in and leave Green Lantern out, we gotta get you, we gotta get your grade on this one too, buddy. All right. Is that fair? That challenge accepted. Challenge accepted. <laughs> <laughs> Watch next week. Green Lantern will be an F. <laughs> All right. Well, let's get our critics hats off. Do you love this movie? Like this movie or none of the above, Steve? Um, I really liked it. Um, I think it's, you know, it was, it's a little bit better than Hulk where I wanted to, you just need to get through it. Um, I liked it. I would put it on my shelf. Something for the, uh, for, um, my son to enjoy when it was time come. I liked it. Okay. How about you? Uh, this is the movie in phase one that I least look forward to watching. So uh, I'm going to say none of the above. I'm going to say none of the above on this one, which is weird for me to say for a Marvel movie because I love Marvel movies, but this is a chore for me. So yeah. uh, now the ultimate question, would pre-college kids love this movie, like this movie, or none of the above? You know what? You, you, you brought up a good point when you were talking about when you were given your grade, how it's like a race car. Yeah. Um, with the pacing. I think kids might buy into it, but I think they would tap out a couple times. But then they always get drawn back into it for the um, 
for the action sequences. But I think they would kind of check out more because the special effects were just bad. <laughs> <laughs> they were just bad, and they just don't relate to what kids can see today. Yeah. So um, I think they would probably none of the above. I guess I think yeah, I think they would kind of care less about it. Okay. Yeah. For me, the younger the kid, I think the less they'll care. Uh, I'm gonna say they'll like it also, but. You know, I think to appreciate the 1940s stuff, you kind of got to be in that 13, 14, 15-year-old. Because if you're 5, 6, 7, you, re- you don't care about that. It looks old. No, yeah. And I, I think the only, the only couple kids that would really appreciate it would be if the parents really, really enjoyed the entire saga. Yeah. And then it's like, no, we need to watch this. This is important. Then I think they would buy into it. Oh, okay. So I All guess right. it's how they're prepped for Black Bear Tim. But the kid just saw this like on the show. Oh, I want to watch Captain America, you know, pop it in and look at it now. So it all depends on the preppedness. Gotcha. All right. All right. Well, that's the end of the show, buddy. We did it. Well, that's all we've got time for today in Movie Planeteers. As you can tell by the music, next show, we'll continue our look at the Marvel Cinematic Universe with... 2012's The Avengers. You can email the Movie Planet using the address movieplanetpodcast at gmail.com. If you enjoyed the show, subscribe on iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, Overcast, Podbean, or Spotify, and give us a four or five star review. Tweet with any questions, comments, theories, and I'll try to fit them into the show next time we're on the air. Send those tweets to at movieplanetpod and like us on Facebook and Instagram using the links in the show notes. The opinions expressed on the Movie Planet Podcast are those of the individual hosts. The Movie Planet Podcast is not affiliated with, prepared for, approved, or licensed by any entity that created any film discussed or reviewed herein. All movie clips and music included in the podcast are the intellectual property of the respective copyright holders. They are included here for the purpose of review, and no infringement is intended. Special thanks to Twisterium and SoundJ Music for providing any intro and closing music we use on other shows. Thanks for listening, and happy movie watching.